It is so good to be here with you today. We're going to be in Matthew 6. I don't know where you were on September 11th, 2001, but I know where I was. It was at the church office at Raleigh Road Baptist Church in Wilson, North Carolina. I was a youth pastor there at the time. And we had the, the TV sitting on a cart in the hall, just kind of in, in amazement at what we were seeing and not really sure what to do with it. And then the second plane hit. And I just got to tell you, I didn't know what to do. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, I don't know where this verse has been all my life. I've heard people say it and not realize it was a verse. When we don't know what to do, our eyes are on you. Isn't that great? Second Chronicles, hello, who's heard of that book? Second Chronicles 2012, write it down. Second Chronicles, not Corinthians, Old Testament, 2012. When we don't know what to do, our eyes are on you. There's a story about a kid. This is a true story. Um, and the dad was walking through the kitchen, and the, the kid had climbed up on top of the refrigerator. Dad didn't see the kid, and the kid it was like, this is the plan. And as dad walks by, he lunges and jumps onto his dad's back. Okay? And clearly surprises dad, and he and catches him, and it's all well and good. But he did it because why? He believed his daddy would catch him, and he was secure, a secure place to jump to in that moment, which was awesome. I think it was great. Don't recommend that. The kids are already out, so if you notice, it's just the big kids. But what a great place to be a, a father where your kid thinks of you as a place that's safe to jump to. Because that's risky, right? That's scary. And yet, here, you know, it's kind of like the, the child on the side of the pool. And you're like, come on, jump, trust me. My kids weren't so you know, trusting of this guy, you know. So earthly dads, hit or miss. Heavenly dad, never misses. Okay? And that may be the point for some of you today. Although I think it's more than that. The, the Lord's Prayer that Jesus prayer because it's the prayer the Lord taught his disciples to pray, is a prayer about the Father. It's to the Father. The, the Bible calls God, among other things, Father. He calls God Jesus. He calls God Holy Spirit. It's, I, it's too big for my little brain. Father, Son, Holy Spirit is the triune God. One God who revealed himself through three, we call it persons. That's not a great word. It's the, kind of the closest we can get to kind of trying to capture something that's infinite, right? How does our little language capture it? It doesn't. It's like the ant trying to describe the internet to another ant. Words just, right, they just escape us. But God is big, and, and he revealed himself in the scriptures in three ways. And, and today, what I want you to see is that Father is throughout the Bible. It's pretty, pretty massive, but especially in the New Testament, which is a little surprising to me. Um, you don't hear Jesus called God in the New Te Old Testament because Jesus isn't here yet, at least not as Jesus of Nazareth. Holy Spirit's there, but, but still... Kind of in the background, if God the Father gets all the, all the ink, all the press, well, there's a good reason for that. And, and I think that part of it is, what is a good father like? And if that good father has all the power in the universe, beyond the universe, what is that person like? What is that God like? And why would I pray to him? So when we don't know what to do, our eyes are on you. 
So what do we do then? What do we say when you don't know what to do? Where do we start? And what I would like to do today is just teach you the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Okay? For some of you, it's familiar. For some of you, like me, you grew up saying it every single Sunday in whatever church you grew up in. Okay? And that's how I learned it before I ever understood it. And there's still parts I'm kind of going, eh, I'm not sure I get that. But I, you know what? I pray and God continues to show me more and more. Even in preparing for today, I feel like I came away understanding it better than ever. And, and the reason that I want you to learn it is because I want you to do it. And when I say do it, what do I mean? I mean, I want you to pray it. I want you to teach it. And I want you to share it. And there's going to be one other big word today that's going to come out of this. And I, I mean, it's there. I can't ignore it. And that is to forgive. Some of you have somebody in your life who's hurt you or wronged you and you're having trouble forgiving them today. Well, today may be for you too. So with that, let's pray and then we'll jump in. Lord God, Father God, Papa, Dad. I love you, and I am so grateful that you love me, that you loved me first so that I might be able to return that love with a right heart for the first time. I'm not worthy of your love, forgiveness, or anything else that you've given me, but I am grateful for it, and I want to share it. So I ask you to help me today as we look at your word spoken by your son on your behalf, by your command, for your purposes and our pleasure. God, help us to understand, to comprehend, to the point at which we decide we either believe or don't believe, and then we have the courage to act based on where we are. We thank you that you love us right where we are, but you love us too much to leave us there. And I just pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds, our ears and our eyes to hear and see what it is you want us to hear and see today. And then, yes, I do pray for that courage to act. For those who are struggling with forgiveness today, I pray that you would give them the grace they need to forgive by faith, even though the emotions aren't there yet. I thank you that we have a heavenly father that is like fathers, but unlike fathers, and that you are perfect, knowing that so many of us down here are not. We ask it in Christ's name, and we say amen. Matthew 6. We are working through the book of Matthew. Pretty much a verse at a time, right? Passage at a time. Why? Because that way it's harder for us preachers to skip the hard stuff. And I think that's good because it puts us on our knees a little bit more, which is always good. We are focusing on just this prayer today. Okay? It's big. If, if I could only teach a new believer one of five things, this would be the top five first things I would teach a new believer. Why? Because it's immediately practical, it's theologically rich, true, and, and it's so encouraging when you believe to the extent that you flesh it out, you actually use it. And, so, and of all the things, the disciples to ask Jesus, hey, teach us to, this is what they picked. Luke tells us that they asked him, teach us how to pray. We don't have record they asked him to teach them anything else. And so I think God probably put that on their hearts because that would be the last thing I'd have asked for. I'd have been like, I don't know, 
teach me how to turn water to wine. That'd be pretty handy, you know, I would think. Uh, how, you know, help me. Maybe we can do that with, you know, dirt, gold coins. That would, can we do that one? Uh, not that Jesus did that one, but, you know, if he can do the water to wine thing, I'm thinking. But no, they asked, teach us how to pray. Because I think, I think they kind of saw a connection between the miracles and the prayer. <laughs> and, and, and what Jesus wanted to drive home for them is that the prayer wasn't just going to God to ask for something. That's part of the prayer. The prayer is the relationship that opens the doors that then give you the place to ask. So um, you'll see that this is in this passage, in this prayer, there's six characteristics of God, the Father in particular. So I'm just going to go through this quickly, and then we'll work through the verse, okay? So it's first we see the, the character of God, the Father's character. Then we see the Father's kingdom. Then we see the Father's provision. Okay, so character is going to be holy and relational and transcendent and and imminent. Um, Kingdom, he is sovereignly in control and in charge and able. He's provider, so he's he's a a good provider, so he's a generous provider, he owns it all. Then the next one is he is a forgiving father, father who forgives. So he's merciful, even in in his holiness and justice. He's also um, a leader or guide, so there's wisdom. And then the last one is he's a deliverer. He's a rescuer. That is, he uh, rescues um, his people even though they are his enemies going in. Okay? So let's unpack that so that you can see where I got that. That didn't come from me. A good, a good guy um, named Mike Breen helped me see that in, in, one of his, in several of his writings. Um, I encourage you to check him out online. B-R-E-E-N, Mike Breen. Um, but anyway, here's, here we go. And I've... I mean, most of this I know, so I'm just going to talk to you, okay? That's all right. Um, let's, let's do this together. Our Father, okay, so we're going to just start. I'm just going to do the first line. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, let's start. We start with Father. Let's, let's do a little, more on, a little deeper dive on Father. So um, in uh, Father, is, the word used here is a very, um, it's the term a child would use for their daddy that they love and adore and trust. Papa. There's even this sense of, a dear dad. It's almost like there's a sense of, um, as they're saying it, there's a little bit of awareness that you're a special person in my life. And I'm articulating that when I say your name. So Abba Father, is, Abba is like the Aramaic way of saying that. Um, you, we would say dad, daddy, papa, whatever you grew up saying, the affectionate term you use for your father would be a good, close parallel. And you can use that. And Jesus is saying here, you can call God that. If he's your father through by grace, through faith, then you can call him Papa. If that helps you, you know. Uh, for me growing up, I never called my dad Father. That just sounded strange to me. That sounded formal and fake, and I just I even tried it once, I think, and it was like, ugh, it almost spit after. It was just so weird. But for others, Father is, a, is an endearing church. So it just depends on, right? This is interpretation of Scripture. It's kind of understanding the context. And when we're, we, we lift it out, what did it mean then? And then we bring it and we drop it into our context, and there's more translation there, right? And us understanding. So Father, so our Father... In heaven. Okay, so what this does is this gives us this contrast that are both two true things about God. One is if he's my daddy, then that makes him what I would call real eminent. That is, that's a theological word that I paid a lot of money for, so I use it once a year. Eminent meaning kind of like personal, really almost like he's right here. 
Okay? And, and God, through the Holy Spirit, is called the paraclete, which is a Greek word that means comes alongside, the one who comes alongside. Helper, counselor. Okay? So if you think of God the Father, there is one God, so he's the same God, so it's like he can, he's like right here. So, I don't know, are you hurting today? He's right here. Are you, are you grieving today? He's with you. He draws near to the brokenhearted, right? He's the comforter. And when I think of comforter, well, I kind of like the comforter on my bed because they're comfortable, right? Well, he's supernatural comforter, okay? What about in heaven? Our Father in heaven. That doesn't sound close. That sounds distant. And if you look at the Old Testament and you count how many times the word Father shows up, in my 800 pages of my Old Testament, it shows up 14 times. That's not a lot of times, is it? 14 times it shows up. And it almost always, I think it always means father of the nation Israel, which is appropriate, but it feels a bit distant, doesn't it? Okay, because here's the thing that he's trying to drive home in there. God is, well, I mean, he's all-powerful, right? Omnipotent, all-powerful. Omniscient, which is all-knowing. Omnipresent, which means he can be everywhere at the same time, anytime, outside of time, or inside of time. He's just all of that because it's all right here. He's, he's immutable, which means unchanging. He never changes. And why would he change if he's perfect? So perfection would cease to be perfect if it changed. So you see, we start to build on these characteristics of a, of a, of a transcendent sovereign. He's sovereign. He's in control. And that's partly because he can be in control. He's all-powerful. But he's also all-wise. And so all of these things start, we start to, you see in the Old Testament, this God who is massively impressive. I don't want to be near that. Because he's so impressive, I'm scared. And I should be. Right? I mean, when I get pulled by a police officer, fear runs through me. Okay? Not because I'm going to get a ticket, but because I have to tell Anita I got a ticket. Right? Fear of... Okay? So there's... Okay. The uniform too. Yeah. I mean, right? He's gun. All right? So um, there's some fear. Well, he's the law. Why would I fear the law? He's just holding me accountable to do what is good for our society. So why? Because there's power behind that badge. Right? There's authority behind that badge. There's a legal system behind that badge. Okay? Now, some people fear for reasons that make me sad, right? Okay? Like the injustice in our system. Okay? But when God pulls me, so to speak, I have a genuine and a right fear because he is able and he's always right. Okay? But if God was only the God we fear, that would not make him somebody I want to go to when I'm hurting. And this is why it's important that we see that the God, the Father in heaven is also Daddy. Imminent, transcendent. You see it? It's important that you see God is both. And that both are good. Our Father tells us something too, right? We could just pray this, we could just pray this prayer and say, Father... And then go on to our prayer. But that would be like saying, my father. Which would be accurate, but incomplete. What does it mean when we say, our father? What does that imply? Well, it implies that I, if I'm praying to him as a believer, then he's, he's my father. If you pray that prayer, it means he's your father. And our indicates that he's our father, which means we are family. We are spiritually connected. And that connection lasts eternally. Okay? We're... You're right, your, your blood kin, your family that, you, you know, that you're connected to blood-wise, you're not going to be with all of them forever unless they're all believers. This 
family, for those of you who are in Christ today, that's forever. Okay? And, and that, should indi- that should remind us how we treat one another. Okay? I don't um, always like my brother, but I love my brother. Okay? And we don't always like each other, and we don't always get along, but we are to love one another. Okay? And that's because that's who the God, the Father we love, that's how he behaves. He doesn't always like us in the way we act. We give him lots of reason not to, and yet we are to love. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is just one of those, it's probably the last King James word to hang on to the prayer, right? It's like hallowed. What, what's another word for that that kind of flows in the prayer? Holy is your name. It's kind of pretty good. But revere or honoring is really what we're trying to go for. It's we are lifting you up because you're worthy. Okay? Starts, this prayer starts big time with God, God, God. And first three petitions or two, two or three petitions. And then it's going to swing from Godward to usward. Okay? Kind of like the Ten Commandments. First four, our relationship with God. Last six, our relationship with each other. Same idea. Start with God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, I like to add, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. It's not in Scripture. To me, it's implied, and it helps me process this prayer a little bit better. Let your kingdom come. Well, it's already here. It's just not completely here. When Jesus showed up, Jesus showed up as king. That was 2,000 years ago. We celebrate that at Christmas, right? King of the Jews. It's prophesied. It happens just like it was prophesied. Men from the east traveled. All this Christmas story. It's about a king born in Bethlehem, not in Herod's palace. Because why? Because he's the true king of the Jews, okay? And king of the Jews are to be a light to the world so that all nations might be grafted in and that we all might be under King Jesus, okay? So um, uh, let your king, when the king shows up, the kingdom shows up, but not yet completely. And that's because the prince of darkness still has a kingdom here that's still functioning, okay? The sentence has been given but it has not been carried out yet, right? There's, a, there's always a time between when the judge says guilty, slams the gavel, and the person is sent to prison ultimately where they're going to be. There's a time that passes, and we're in that time spiritually for when Satan will be thrown into the abyss. And there will be no more sin. There will be no more temptation. There will be no more. It'll just be new heaven, new earth, King Jesus. on throne fully kingdom here. So we pray for it to come in full, even though it's already revealing itself through the collected body of Christ. That's what the church is supposed to be, the front lines of the extension and the expansion of the kingdom of God. That's what we're supposed to be, front lines, showing the world what it looks like. And oh, by the way, it looks much more like um, people on their knees praying for others and taking on the abuse that goes with that than being large and in charge with our red, white, and blue Bible covers, okay? No disrespect to the country, but simply, let's, let's go let's shoot higher, okay? Which means lower, all right? Look at how Jesus did it. Jesus was an Israeli. He would have been a citizen of the nation of Israel, but we don't see him flying the flag. He loves the nation, He loves the people, but he died for the world. And we live for the world. Okay? So it's really important that we recognize that the kingdom that Jesus is about is eternal. 
And the nation that we know and love, imperfect though she is, we love too. But it is a different level of love. It's a different level of allegiance. This is why the church is struggling in America right now. Because we see things differently at the America level. And that's dividing us instead of focusing on how are we in this kingdom at the heavenly level that's here on earth. Okay, That's where we need to pursue. Let your kingdom come, Lord God. Father, bring your kingdom in. You've put Jesus on the throne. It'll become obvious one day when he is visibly on that throne. But until then, it's by grace through faith that we operate. In that kingdom, his will is done. God's will is followed to the T. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And so we see the will of God on earth as it's already happening in heaven. So we see that. So we see it played out, right? We see the character of God. And now we have the kingdom of God. Now we have the provision of God. Give us today our daily bread. Now this is about more than food. But you know what? We need food to survive. We need food to live and thrive and be all that he wants us to be. So we pray for the food. We thank God for the food. We pray for more provision. This one's hard for us because our pantries are full and our refrigerator's full a lot of the time. Or if it's not, we can go down to the store or we can go across to uh, McDonald's or whatever. Right? We have access here. We don't know what it's like in places in the world where it's still hard to get a meal today. We just don't relate to this. This part of the prayer is harder for us. We just take it for granted. I do. Okay? But there's more to it than that, and that is the spiritual food that we need that's essential. And that is, and Jesus says in John, I can't remember where, he says, I am the bread of life. Well, Jesus uses this metaphor to say, I am the bread of life, meaning you need to feed on me for true sustenance in your faith. The Lord's Supper is a picture of that every week. The bread represents his body. The, blood, the, the, the juice represents his blood, right? And those are the two things he gave for us on the cross so that we might have life. Die so that we might truly live. It's, it's one of those paradoxes that's really hard to understand. Even as a Christian, the world really doesn't understand. What do you mean, to live I must die? Think about the freedom, though. If you've already died in your mind, then if death comes, you've already embraced it. You're not afraid of it anymore because you know that the best is yet to come. You know that this isn't the end. And so there's freedom in that. Real freedom in that. And that's where your fear can be related. Your courage can come in. It doesn't mean that you're never afraid. It means that even though you are afraid, you can do the right thing, motivated by love, even if it costs you everything. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Give us this today our daily bread and Forgive us our debts as we forgive. I don't remember exactly how. We have also forgiven our debtors, also have forgiven. I don't say it that way. That's why I don't remember it. So um, debt, debtors, this is an economic term, which is a little strange in a prayer. Jesus is talking about money. I don't owe people any money. Most of us probably do. And he's like, um, forgive us our debts. Well, you know, God, that'd be great. Forgive me my mortgage would be great any day now. Um, But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about this debt, this spiritual debt that you and I rack up every time we sin. It's something that we, we end up racking up debt. And the only way you wipe out the debt is you confess it and God forgives it. And it goes back to zero and it's wiped out. And then he adds this, as we, as also have, uh, as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's really hard for us to forgive somebody if we haven't received that forgiveness. 
because we don't know what it's like. We get into this, um, they don't deserve it mode, okay? And, and Jesus is going to add to this. Let me just read to you 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay? This isn't about salvation. This isn't forgive somebody so that God will save you. This is just about being a follower of Christ. When we forgive others, it's evidence that we have received forgiveness. And God uses this in the sanctifying process of our faith. In other words, he makes us more like Jesus, more quickly able to forgive when we appreciate and recognize and really comprehend the level of forgiveness that God has given us. Let me give you a, a, a parable of this. Jesus teaches in Matthew 18. There's a, serv- there's a bunch of servants that owe the king money. The king says, I'm going to collect all my debts. So he calls in the servant. The servant comes in. And this servant, he says, I, want you, uh, I, I need you to pay up. And the servant's got 20 years of his salary. That's how much he owes. Okay? 20 years of wages he owes. So figure out whatever you make a year, multiply that times 20. That's what this person would have owed. Something like that, right? And so he's like, have mercy on me. The king's going to put him and his family in prison. He's like, have mercy on me. I'll pay it back. Well, he's never paying that back. There's no way he can pay that back. The king decides to show mercy. In the parable that Jesus tells, the king says, I'm forgiving the debt. All right? Now, I would think that guy would be so grateful that he would forgive anybody and everybody at, at, at any moment. But that isn't what happens. He then goes free, and he finds the, somebody who owes him one day's wages. Not one year's wages, one day's wages. And he says, and he grabs him by the collar, and he says, pay me what you owe me. And he shakes him. He's like, pay me or I'm going to throw you into jail. I can't pay you today. Have mercy on me. And he throws him into jail. No mercy. I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty ticked if I had observed that and somebody did and the guys or gals or the folks that did went to the king and told him what happened. King calls him back. How in the world do you not forgive someone after what I just did for you? And he throws him in to be tortured. That's the parable. There's a connection between this us being forgiven, us forgiving others that matters to God, which is why Jesus gives us the extra verses here. I grew up saying, um, and, for, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Anybody grow up here in that? Okay. All right, good. A lot of good Methodists in here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm a recovering. Yeah. Um, so, so trespass, that's all, I never got that word. I didn't understand it. And then eventually I had to go to seminary to figure it out um, because no one ever knew, no one in church could ever tell me. But trespass, we know what that means, right? If I have a sign in my yard that says no trespassing, that means don't step on my grass, kind of. Don't come onto my property because, you know, I don't want you there. And if I do step into that, then I am trespassing. I am breaking their law. The law of their little postage stamp of land, right? And if I go in there and I go into their garden and I stomp around in the garden, I'm really trespassing now because I'm doing harm and damage that they didn't want me to do, which is why they had to sign up maybe. Spiritually, it's not an economic, it's a property kind of, but similar. 
when you and I sin against someone else, it's like we went and stomped in their garden. Right? We've sinned against them. We've done violence to their life. Okay? Now, you can say, it's just a garden. Some of y'all don't have gardens, so you're like, what's the big deal? Well, pick your favorite thing and have somebody stomp on that. And if they go, ooh, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. I don't know that you and I are going to jump up and down and say, okay, see you later. Right? We want restitution. That was the word I was trying to, I couldn't come up. Every time I practice, I couldn't come up with the word. Restitution. Thank you, Lord. Restitution. We want restitution. We want more than an apology, more than genuine heart for forgiveness. But we want someone to not only return what they owe, but more. Because why? Because it hurt more than just the loss of what was physically lost. You're wounded relationally. In some cases, there's all kinds of stress and agony and distress that leads sometimes to years of dysfunction and dis-ease in your mind. It's not just give it back. Sometimes I think, um, I wonder about um, if we did that wrong with our kids because it's like they took, you know, one took a toy from the other, give it back. Maybe we should have said give it back and go get a couple. More than just the immediate offense. When we sin against God, it's more than just the immediate offense. When we sin against each other, it's more than just what we see. There's more beneath the surface that's wounded there. This is why we have trouble trusting each other. Because we wound each other. We do violence to each other. We trespass against each other. Okay? Now, there's another translation that I tend to use, and that is, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Okay? Um, New Living Translation. Some people call it the Darth Vader Translation. No, I'm just kidding. It, it, it gets at the essence of what's being talked about here, sin. It doesn't have the imagery of debt or trespass. But all of those things help us get in a sense of um, when we sin against God, okay, we do violence of that relationship. We, we actually are removed from fellowship. A relationship is never re- removed, but the fellowship is distorted or disturbed. Okay? It's kind of like if you, if you have a fight with your, your, your spouse, you're still married, you just don't feel like it, right? The fellowship is not happening, okay? But you're still married, hopefully, right? That's why we say stick it out because you want, you want to come back to restoring that fellowship. What does that? Forgiveness. It doesn't mean that there isn't still casualties and scars and shrapnel that needs to be moved, and right? There's still, there's still stuff there, okay? But... But God's grace and mercy can bring healing to that, but it takes time. So this is the other big pushback I get when people, when we talk about forgiveness. And that is, I don't feel like forgiving them. Well, who does, right? Nobody ever feels like forgiving anybody. I imagine the Father didn't feel like giving, forgiving us. We certainly didn't deserve it, but he did. And he calls us to. That should be reason enough. But let me just give you a little more encouragement. You don't have to feel like it for it to work. For you to forgive somebody else is a choice rooted in faith. And the emotions, if you stick with that, eventually catch up. It doesn't mean, this is the other tension I I wrestle with. I want to treat them as if it never happened, but I can't do that. Because it happened. And there were consequences. So if somebody hurt my child, I want to be able to forgive them and move on. But I do not want to forget that they hurt my child because I'm not going to let them watch my child again. You see what I'm saying? And yet... I don't want to hold that over their heads and every time something goes wrong, beat them over the head with it and go, oh, remember? It's like 
ace of spades in the pocket. Every time you say something I don't like, I'm pulling that back out and running it in your face because what are you supposed to say, right? You were busted and you admitted it and all of that, right? And we're not supposed to do that either. Okay, that's why forgiveness is so messy. It's so hard and it's so important. You and I are not going to flourish in our faith as long as we hang on to unforgiveness. Okay, it's that it becomes bitterness. It's like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt someone else. It's just not going to work. So it's not practical. It's not biblical. It's just not good for anybody. It hurts God. It hurts the church. It hurts you. It hurts the other person. So... I hope that you will move in the direction of, by the end of today, you're ready to forgive somebody that doesn't deserve your forgiveness. In fact, I'm going to go as far as to say, I want you to write their initials or name on the flap of your Bible, inside of your Bible. And when you do forgive them, I'm believing, you're going to scratch through it. Leave it there, but you're going to just draw a single line through it and saying, forgiven. Because that's what Jesus did for us. Our names are written down somewhere, and for our name to be put in the book of life, our name had to be scratched out of that. I don't know if there's an actual book there for that, but you see what I'm saying. It's like God keeps a record of our wrongs. He knows every thought I've ever thought that was impure. He sees all, right? Omniscience means I see it all, I know it all, and I never forget it until I forgive it. He's seen everything I've ever said, heard everything I've ever said. He's seen everything I've ever done, whether anybody else was looking or not. He's even seen the things I haven't done, I should have done. Right? High bar. And yet, Jesus died for all of those sins, which is why we sing about the blood of Jesus as if it's precious, because it is. It's precious because without that blood, there's, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins possible. For any of us, we're all hopeless. Okay? So, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this is where the prayer stops. The other part was added on by the church later, which is great. It's fine. It's just not scripture. Okay? So we're not going to go there today. But lead us not into temptation. This was the one I struggle with the most. And obviously, um, I'm not the only one as I read and study and see what other people think and just try to get grapple with this. There's this tension here between what God does and what God doesn't do that we need to think about, okay? Now remember, the Father is good and he is great, okay? So he's only going to do what is good and right and and wise. He's not going to do anything that's wrong. He's never sinned because it's impossible for God to sin and lie. God, uh, James 1.13 says something like, uh, for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone. So you say, whoa, doesn't that contradict? Wait a minute, what does this say? Okay, um, lead us not in temptation. Well, if God doesn't tempt anyone, then how could he lead us into temptation? Well, I'll tell you how he could do it. He could lead us into a situation that could tempt us. God does not directly tempt us. He's got all the help he needs for that, right? The enemy is ready to tempt you. He worked with Eve and he never stopped. Okay, but there's also another nuance to the word here that's used for temptation that mean, is, also can be interpreted trial testing. And there is a sense in which a temptation is, can be a test that's part of a trial that God is either sending or allowing to happen because he's trying to accomplish something in your life that's good. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know that from Romans 8. Think about it. 
Job in the Old Testament, the whole story of Job is about God saying, having this conversation with, with Satan. We don't know if this literally happened, if it's a story. I, 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 Jesus seemed to take it at face value, so I'm good with that. But even if it's not, Satan's there, God's there. I'm like, this is weird. God says, hey, have you noticed my servant Job? Isn't he awesome? He's righteous and good and he's faithful and, and he's just bragging on Job. And, and Satan's like, yeah, well, you give him whatever he wants. Of course he's going to be nice to you and good and faithful. And God's like, well, you want to you test that? And so Satan tests that and takes everything away from him except his wife, who's nags. There's another whole lesson there, but we'll leave it at that. Okay? And he doesn't curse God. And God says, next time they come, notice my servant Job, faithful to the end. Well, if you took his health away from him, he would curse you. Okay, I'm going to give you boundaries again, but test that. And so then that's the suffering that Job goes through on top of all the physical losses. Now he loses, you know, his health is attacked, his body. And you know, when you hurt, you don't think about anything else right? You just think about you because you're hurting and all you want is relief. It's really hard to think about anybody else under those circumstances. He doesn't curse God. What happens is he ends up becoming aware of just how grand and beautiful God is. And he's, um, in one sense, he's very faithful. In another sense, he repents. And all of that leads to just a beautiful example of how we are to be in this life. Give you another example. Right after Jesus was baptized and the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Do what I, what he tells you to do. And then he sends him into the wilderness. Holy spirit leads Jesus to the wilderness for 40 days of fasting. I don't like 40 minutes of fasting. Okay. 40 days he's in the wilderness. And I don't know if it happens throughout I read it as if he's being tempted throughout. He's certainly being tempted to eat. But anyway, he, he gets to the end and Satan's there and he tempts him three more times. Okay, he's being tested. Because the father knows that the testing before the cross is going to be even harder than that. And he has to prepare him. So, when we pray, lead us not in temptation, there's, there's a legitimate side of that, Right? If I'm a recovering alcoholic, I don't want somebody tempting me to go somewhere where they serve alcohol. I just, I don't need that. Lord, keep me from that, okay? It doesn't mean that God can't keep you from it if you find yourself there. It just means I I need your help because there's even this, I'm kind of looking for someone to invite me kind of thing. It's like, I'm weak, I recognize it, help me with this. But then there's also the sense in which, prepare me, Lord, for what's coming. I want to be prepared, I don't want to be a puddle of tears when, when life gets hard. I mean, that doesn't mean I don't cry. It doesn't mean things aren't hard. But, but I want to have the, the, the spiritual fortitude to, to stand up under it. And God gives us that. Well, sometimes he does that by preparing us in advance for what's coming. Okay? And sometimes he lets you go through some of that so that you can help someone else get through it. He's preparing you to help someone else. There's, I mean, this is so massive, right? And then the last part, Lord... Um, but delivers from the evil one. It's a reference to Satan. What does Satan's name mean? It means accuser. You did that. You, yeah, that was you who did that sin. And you did it. And you know it. And you're like, I don't need to be reminded. Thank you very much. And that's what Satan does. He accuses you of things that not only you've done, he even accuses you of things that you've already done and been forgiven for. He brings them back up. 
And then you just feel worse about yourself. And you just feel worse. And you beat yourself up. And he's like, yeah, now they're no good to anyone. Just beating themselves up. And, he, and, and what does he say? Deliver us from the evil one. Think of it as a courtroom. And, and, and Satan's there as the prosecutor pointing the finger at you saying, he's guilty, she's guilty. And you're going, yep. And the father's going, yep. And then you're reminded of the verse in, I don't know what verse it is, Romans 8. Therefore, there now is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh yeah, I'm in Christ. <laughs> you may be right, but you aren't wrong. Whoops. You, are, you, are, you may be right, but I am covered because Jesus already took care of it. So the guilt that I have on me because of that, it's already been paid at the cross. So I'm forgiven for that. And so I don't have to dwell on that. I don't have to beat myself up and drag it back up and go, oh God, I need to repent of this again. No, he's already forgotten it because he's already forgiven it. You see why this prayer is good news? Do you see why the Father's character just continues to reveal itself through his, through his character, through his kingdom, through his provision, through his forgiveness, through his leadership, and through his deliverance? This is awesome. We should be praying this prayer often, early and often. And we should be teaching it to our kids and our grandkids and our nieces and our nephews and our neighbors and our neighbor's kids. You get it? It's a model prayer, yes. Jesus gave it to us as a model, which means it's a great start. But it's also a prayer that's worthy to be praised. I, I prayed. I would say it's the perfect prayer. I don't, I don't know. You tell me what's wrong with it, right? So maybe when we don't know what to do, and our eyes are on you, and we go, okay, now what? Our Father. You see it? We don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. Our Father. Sound like a plan? So here's what I want you to do. And we're done. I want you to forgive whoever you're having trouble forgiving. I want you to write their name or initials down somewhere and scratch them out when you forgive them. Here's how big a deal this is. When we do the Lord's Supper here in a second, if you have somebody you haven't forgiven, do not come. It is not appropriate for you to come and celebrate your forgiveness when you are withholding forgiveness. You see that? How important that is? That's what he's saying. It's a big deal. Okay? And, and that's okay. If you need time, take time. But just understand, you're not in the great place right then with the Lord. Because you're saying, his forgiveness is good enough for you. It's just not good enough for whoever hurt you. Forgive. That's the first thing. Oh, and by the way, no extra charge for this sidebar. But if you're having trouble forgiving yourself, that's like saying God's forgiveness isn't worth anything either. So... Hello, forgive yourself. If God can forgive you, you can forgive you. Okay? If you need more counseling, I know people. Okay, so forgive. Forgive. And then I want you to pray this prayer, and I want you to pray it so much you can't help but know it. Inside and out, use your words, whatever. And use it as a springboard to, to go down different roads. Like some weeks I pray the first line, and I'm off, and I never finish the Lord's Prayer. But I have been launched because God has given me something on my heart that started with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's good stuff. Okay? And then share it. Share it, folks. Basic discipleship 101. If we can't share something as important and valuable as that, then what are we doing? What are we doing? You don't have to have your Bible to do that if you have it. 
here and you're praying it regularly. Then you're praying, you're not just sharing something from your head, you're sharing something from your heart because you believe it enough to know it, pray it. Of course you're going to want to share it because it's good news to know it and pray in it. Okay? Can we do that? Can we do that this week? Can we, can we get there? Start moving in that direction? I believe you can. I think you want to. God is giving you all that you need to pull that off. You just keep your eyes on him. When you don't know what to do, our eyes are on you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your great and holy name. You are a good, good Father. And I thank you that you are my Father. I thank you even more that you are our Father. And I pray that you will help us usher in your kingdom with you. That we'll join you in your kingdom. Let your kingdom come in full. But let it come in and through us, Lord, as we get to be participants in this great holy search and rescue mission. Find us doing your will as kingdom citizens do. Lord, we do need your daily provision physically, spiritually, so we pray for your daily bread today. We pray for your daily bread as food, and we pray for your daily bread as Jesus, the bread of life. And we pray for your forgiveness, but Lord, help us forgive. Help us not allow our unforgiveness against someone else to prevent us from the grace and mercy that comes through your, through your spirit, by grace through faith. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. The sins that put Jesus on the cross. The sins that Jesus died for. Forgive us of our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. And if we have not forgiven them, Lord, keep it in front of us until we do. Until we humble ourselves and surrender and submit. Do not lead us into temptation, Lord. But deliver us from the accusations of the enemy. Help us to remember that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For that has been handled at the cross. May we embrace the cross for this reason. May we embrace Jesus for this reason. May we thank you, Father, for sending your Son so that we might live through the power of your Spirit. For those who don't know or are not there yet, I pray that even now they would act on the faith that you've given them, that they would step in and put their full weight into you, Lord, through your Son, Jesus they would receive this as if it was for them because it is and it doesn't matter what they've done it doesn't matter how far they think they've fallen it doesn't matter you know all of that and yet here you are inviting them to you lord what a gracious and merciful god you are and i pray that you would not only open their eyes but open the eyes of their heart to see you and give them the courage to respond by grace through faith in jesus it's in jesus name we pray amen